This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week we're, well, we're watching some what have you in spine number 71 <laughs> in the Criterion Collection, Ingmar Bergman's The Magic Flute from 1975. But first, RJ, sup? Ooh, what's up, girl? Wasn't expecting such a casual, fun opener. Oh, well, I'm, hey, I, about... I'm in a pretty good mood. Wow, that's good. You know why? Why? Even though, why even though the world mood? is burning even and we though... are completely surrounded by forest fires, people yeah. don't know this, but we're getting smoke from BC. We're getting smoke from Montana. It's closing in on us to the point where I think on the weekend, there's like an air quality scale of one to 10. And someone said it was 13. Yeah, we were 10. Yeah, we were definitely 10 plus. Yeah, it, it, like there was a statement that said it was unsafe to go outside, and I I couldn't follow up on the creep annual rib fest. I was gonna go see if the sauce guy was there, that that old bastard pouring the sauce on his spoon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> New listeners can go back to episode three or four to hear about all that goodness. But we were gonna, yeah, me and Andrew were gonna go get ribs, and uh, we couldn't fucking leave the house, so we got a bunch of Chinese like animals. And we ate it, and I got really what, sick. Wait, wait, what are, you, what, are you, what are you trying to say about our Chinese friends? Not the Chinese friends. White Canadians who eat, eat this Chinese food <laughs> are fucking animals like me. Okay. And you. I, I, I've seen you eat Chinese food. Oh, You're not yeah. immune to this. Oh, I, yeah, I wouldn't describe myself as an animal, though. I mean, or the, people I make, or the people making my food is animals, RJ. I didn't say they were. I said I was. I said I got Chinese and ate it like an animal. Okay. Uh, because I eat too much and then I got this weird piece of chicken and a chicken ball and it was like watery and it made me really, it made me like really sick. I was like, what was that? I was like, why was it, why was it watery? Why did it taste watery? Oh, no. And I, I got like so grossed out that I threw up, oh. but I ate it the next day too. So, um, where was I going with this? Oh yeah, I'm in a I'm in a good mood because uh, the leaves are turning and it's fall, so it's officially countdown to Creeptober. <gasps> sure is. A few weeks left, so that's got me in a pretty good mood, even though uh, everything else sucks and I'm an animal. But uh, that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Yeah, so you, I'm excited. Yeah, and you you've even got something to look forward to in Creeptober, a big event. But a which, big uh, event. We, we haven't talked about it on the show, but maybe we'll just wait till it happens. Uh, I think we can wait till it happens. Okay. That would probably be best. Yeah. 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 That'll it'll yeah, be, it's actually, it'll really bring it all things together. <laughs> if it even fucking happens, because this event, it might be in the heart of one of those forest fires. So we'll see if it even fucking goes. Mm, that's true. It'll be... stay, stay tuned, folks. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, man? Uh, well, uh, well, for fall for me, it just means I'm back to work at my real job. Ooh. Yep. Nerf. Um, yeah, working for a living, uh, waking up in the morning, getting off work, eating dinner, podcasting after said day. It's, uh, what a lame it's a, wad. Yeah, totally lame. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's like, I like the, um, I don't know, the, the, the prison, the, the, the prison I've made for myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get my own. Well, actually the big, big term of events is I've discovered I now have an office with my name on the door. 
I now have a door that closes behind me so I can put the world away and I can just cry in privacy now. It's wonderful. And in in a couple months when your sexual assault charge gets laid in, uh, not assault, but like when people walk in on you doing bad things, Mm. we can, they can revert back to this about how excited you were that you now have a door (laughs) and you can walk yourself away. When they find you with your pants down at the photocopier, that's assault, brother. Is that because I forgot to like put my pants back on when I Possibly. leave my office? I just start, it start the hallway turns into yeah. an extension of my domain. Yeah. There's a, there was a professor at the building I worked at before and he would uh-huh. take his shoes off in front of, before he walked into his office. But it's like, it was a big building, like a, a workplace building. And he would always take his shoes off and like, Aww. he wasn't of like a, uh, I don't know how to put that, so I'm just going to bail on <laughs> entirely. So, anyways, uh, yeah, that uh, old, sucks. Old, he, are you saying he wasn't an old stock Canadian? Um, RJ? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave that to your imagination. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how to... Whatever, whatever. You're the weird one, not no, me. No, he's a loser. People, I, yeah. Whatever. Take your shoes off to go into your office. Like, come on. I actually, I did see him one time. Some astute listeners will know. Uh, one time I saw him in the back in the surgery suite with the rats, and he had no shirt on. <laughs> Ugh. This guy is a... Uh, you know what? He, he likes the uh, watery chicken in his chicken balls. Oh, God. What is that? Have you ever had that before? No. No, RJ, I haven't. Would you have been grossed the, the, out too? What, what, I'm, what I'm thinking is that it's like a shrimp. It was a deep fried shrimp that got in. No, so no, no, no. It was chicken and it tasted, there was like oh, water. Did you order, well, maybe you ordered the salmonella bowl this time and didn't realize it. Something was going on, man. No. And, it, and it really upset me. Mm. But I still ate it the next day, like the leftovers. Yeah. Because I have no shame. Yeah. So, whatever. How, how's dealing with all the students and the busyness of the university? Fine. Uh, I was just telling Chanel, actually, that the, the new fashion, apparently, uh, for the ladies is, like, mom jeans. And crop tops? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I know, because I drive my girl, uh, I drive Andrea to work at the university. So, uh, we saw all sorts of crop tops and mom jeans. Mm-hmm. That's the yep. end thing. And they're all, like, it's like, they're all holy they're bursting out of their jeans. I don't know why you want to like look like a like child bursting out of your clothes, but I guess are you think are, are saying that's real hot? I guess that's the hotness. Are you shaming mom jeans? No, I'm, I'm shaming poor fashion choices. Perhaps you can't you can't do that, bro. I, I can't. We're gonna get taken down. Oh no, we're gonna get taken down. <laughs> um. Well, yeah, that sucks for you. Yeah. Um, but I don't it's, care. It's fine. It's just like uh, every yeah. year it's like, oh, what are, what, what are the people wearing this year? Oh, it's this. Uh, I, I haven't uh, yeah. seen enough to see what the, the dudes are wearing just yet. Which was just like their dicks were out all the time <laughs> out of their pants. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be hilarious. <laughs> this one time, Jared, I was in junior high. I got lots of stories for you today, okay? <laughs> oh, my God. No. This one time in junior high, we Stop. were all by the walkers. Stop. This dude came up and his know. balls were just hanging out of his pajama pants. And we were like, dude. How? And he was, he was like, oh, no. He, this kid got high a lot. Oh, He's like, man. oh, no. And, like, he was really embarrassed. I don't know. They were just – he was wearing pajama pants, and they just mm-hmm. fell out. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, uh, how are we doing on all those endorsements and sponsors? Excellent. Excellent. Hey, nice. RJ, we got, oh. we got listener feedback. What? We mm-hmm. never get that. Yeah. Uh, so, we got an email here from Oliver Granger. 
Nice. And it was uh, email t- entitled "Fucking Hell." Uh, <laughs> it opens up with in in quotes, "What's it like to be jobless?" God, that cracked me up. <laughs> Considering the episode before, you spent the whole time planning out your long distance relationship. <laughs> Uh, maybe that was maybe it was all an elaborate rouge maybe but it wasn't um ruse i i i've actually had uh feedback on that a couple times uh, what do you mean saying feedback? How fu- so I've, I've, uh, I've heard from other people saying that that was very funny that they uh yeah that we really knocked them dead uh did you I'll- tell them though did you explain <laughs> that i'm not jobless i have a job that I turned down the other job. I wasn't fired. I wasn't asked to leave because a better opportunity has presented itself. And I, I'm specifically choosing not to bring it up now because I'm going to wait until it's actually a month in and then I will say what well, that is. Well, it'll be, and that'll be so worth it too. <laughs> well, because uh, we'll I've told people and they just like start laughing about what you'll be doing. So uh, it's great. Are you shaming my my future job? <clears throat> Oliver continues. Also, <laughs> my wife is getting sick of the Criterion Collection. All the films are blurring into one. Last night she asked, what are you watching? The Unbearable Lightness of Christ? Oh, yeah. No, that's actually a pretty fair statement. Andrea thought that like a long time ago. No. Yeah. It's like which yeah. one? Which one? Which old balls piece of shit movie are you watching this week? It's like ah, yeah. some good they ones. peaked too soon with the RoboCop in the top twenty. That's right. Yeah, if they had, uh, they, they really... should put RoboCop two in here somewhere. Mm, no, not <laughs> three though. No, they shouldn't put it. No, I've I've seen how that ends. It ends in tears. Yeah. And well, anyways, and, there's got to be something cool coming up soon, no? Ah, uh, well, it's a lot of mysteries actually. We'll get to that. Well, if uh, if Buddy Oliver Granger, mm-hmm. uh, if he listens to the Ghoul School specials, that'll be a nice break from uh, the Criterion mm-hmm. grind. Yes, I think he watches a bit of horror himself. Well, we got a lot planned. My list is up. You don't put your list up well, in full. I will create. Already... I will create some kind of list and I will post it. I got like a giganto yeah. list of like two hundred odd movies that I just like add to yeah. every year. All the stuff I don't wind up watching it carries over to the next year. But I want to keep track of it. You know. Yeah, um, I feel you. And I, I haven't even started thinking about that month yet, and like what what my themes are going to be. I haven't put in years much thought as I have themes. in previous years. Yeah. Don't don't be a theme, theme week. Don't be a geek. Just watch whatever you want. Well, I I usually do that as well, but uh, yeah, you know, I try to get something together. You know, I think uh, that was your advice to me. Yeah, don't be a geek. Just don't, watch whatever you want. Yeah, don't make me shove you in that locker. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, whatever. Anywho, so thanks for the feedback. It's always appreciated. Uh, mm-hmm. Hope to hear back from some other people. Yeah, some, maybe that'd be some, nice. maybe people who've never written in before. That would be that would there be lovely go. too. We'd all love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. So RJ, uh, what did you creep on this week? Ooh, uh, I did some actual creeping for you this week, as I I said I would. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watched a few things. First off, I watched uh, a Jarrett pick. Uh, I watched Stephen King's Toby Hooper Presents mm-hmm. The Mangler. Yeah. Uh, this is one of a few different Stephen King stories that are about uh, murderous, uh, yeah, murderous machines that are in like big factories. Uh, because this is a laundry, this one takes place in a laundry warehouse where it's like a big laundromat. 
laundromat yeah like they yeah. do commercial laundry yeah and there's a machine there called the mangler that like steams and folds the clothes yeah. and um i don't know if you know this but it's because steve worked at a place that was a big commercial laundry laundromat hmm. i like uh, whoa, I'm, i like this research here rj tell me uh more. You ask and you ask me any Stephen King shit. I, I think I, I know the the deal. Yes. So he worked at a laundromat before he was like uh, a part time teacher before he wrote Carrie and all that shit. So he it's the same with um, what's that one with Brad Dourif night shift where he was like in another kind of factory. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, that was yeah, a place yeah. he worked, too. And he, he just like daydreamed about like stuff coming to life and like murdering people. Mm-hmm. So the like, Bangler, like a real weirdo. Yeah, like a real weirdo. Uh, so I watched this because uh, Toby Hooper died. And uh, this one confirms uh, Toby Hooper is like, whatever, I don't care. I'm glad he's dead. Um, uh, no, this movie is actually pretty good. Uh, it's not It's not like oh, great. So I want to throw out though. So yeah. this is a movie that like people fucking like, they, they shit on this movie like a lot. Yeah. They, 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 yeah. This movie's got a real like ripping like, reputation of just like it's one of the worst Stephen King movies of all time yeah. uh, it doesn't get any worse than this it's just absolute garbage like it is maligned yeah. however I when I few... watched this last yeah. year I thought this movie was actually like very entertaining and like yep. str- it's like not a good movie but it's like super yeah, entertaining yeah, yeah. in like yep. a lot of different ways yeah yeah so um, I guess I'll just start if I didn't if you didn't catch before uh, this is a huge machine that kills people that's yeah. the whole movie. so I think like I, uh, I also knew that this movie was shit on a lot, um, and I think it's because it's an easy target. One because it is Toby Hooper, and like there was a, I feel like there was a real swing on like uh, how people viewed Toby Hooper. He was this like icon for a long time, and then he made a bunch of shitty movies, and then people like people like me, they like totally swung on it, and they're like, oh, Toby Hooper sucks. There's that. There is uh, the premise and the plot alone, I guess, is kind of goofy. But I mean, if you if you're a fan of Stephen King, like this is nothing new. This is one of his short stories, I think. And like he has so many fucking short stories about shit just coming to life and like killing people. So many. There are three fucking movies about cars coming to life and killing people. Got uh, Christine, uh, Maximum Overdrive and Trucks. Like that, that's how much Stephen King just loves like the idea of just random shit coming to life. So I don't think that's like, I guess I can see if people don't like that, then whatever. But then they probably don't like Stephen King. Either. And, hey, and also uh, Maximum Overdrive is another movie that is unfairly maligned because yeah. that movie is that, like super entertaining. Yeah, that movie is super dope. I like that one a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then I think the other part that people probably don't like about this is fucking Robert England mm. with uh <laughs> Yeah, so he he's like not the best. Like he fits the role, I guess. But yeah. I think this was Toby Hooper's fault because for why does Toby Hooper like doing young people and old well, prosthetics? They, yeah, so much. When I was like skimming through uh, so like Toby Hooper like images to like put together a Facebook post about his death, I kept like I was like noticing like yeah, he likes old people like old like and they always look the same. It's like this is how you, yeah. old people look. They look real evil and shitty and messed up. That's what all old people and they're always in my movies. Everyone has an old yeah. man overly. They're not actually old people though. Yeah. They're like young people with old prosthetics on. Yeah. So. It's like he does that a lot. So I think that's probably one of the things, too, is it's it's a little distracting, like not like I didn't really care at first. I I think I laughed. and I was like, oh, that's dumb. But like it didn't really distract me the rest of the movie. But I could see why it would be a 
so, something for other mm. people who like if if you like weren't cool with that you would probably just not like any of this movie because anytime you saw that you would be like oh fuck this mm-hmm. but uh, one thing i credit where it's due because like i i uh, did enjoy this movie too uh there are there is some super gore in this movie mm-hmm. when people get put into that folding machine like the old lady and then Buffalo uh, Bill <laughs> looks at the, what came out on the other side and it's just this mass of flesh and like a little finger hanging out of it or something like that. Yeah. It's pretty gross. So Okay. So yeah, this so, is like kind of uh, burying the lead there is uh, Ted Levine uh, yeah. is like the hero of the story. And he's just like, mm-hmm. he's a de- he's a detective, but he's yeah. just like playing it just like he's Buffalo Bill. And, mm-hmm. But he's like a good guy, Buffalo Bill. Just like that incomprehensible voice of his where he's just mumbling his words and he's a drunk and shit. And it's yep. like, it's so fucking good. It's like, it, it makes this movie. If you took that mm-hmm. out of it, I don't know. You wouldn't have much. But he's like, he just goes scene to scene. He's just rambling around. Um, I, I get a lot of pleasure out of uh, Ted Levine's performance in The Mangler. You you get a lot of pleasure? A lot of pleasure, RJ. Nice. So yeah, I watched The Mangler and it was pretty good. Uh, if you like Stephen King and you haven't seen it, maybe throw it on one day or not. Whatever. I'm not your boss. Uh, so then I watched another Jarrett Picks. Oh. Uh, I watched that Paradise Lost trilogy. Oh. Tell yeah. me, tell me what this Paradise Lost trilogy is. I mean, I, I wasn't so, aware that you were such a big fan of the Paradise books. What? <laughs> Continue. Is that a snappy joke? I don't. No. I don't know this joke. Books. Okay? It's books. It's okay. a. It's a. It's an illusion. A literary illusion. An illusion. Yeah. It's an illusion. With an A. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I so I watched Paradise Lost. Milton. God damn it. Anyway, nope. continue. Whatever. Whatever. Yeah. I'm really Joe Pesci in Lethal Weapon Three today. Hey. Whatever. Whatever. You remember that movie? No. <laughs> hey. Whatever. Continue. <laughs> uh, so Paradise Lost. Uh, if anyone's not familiar. The first one was an HBO documentary, or they all are, I guess. Yeah. But the first one came out in the 90s. Uh, there was this really grisly murder of three little kids in West Memphis, Arkansas. And after no time, the police nailed these three teenagers, oldest being like 18 or 19, the two others being like 16. They nailed them for the crime. And uh, the reason they they chose these teenagers was that they had black clothing and hair and they listened to metal. And uh, one of them was a Wiccan. And then they one of the one of the three of the people they interrogated and he was below the IQ line of 70, which is like in the mentally challenged. I.E. retarded. Yeah. Well, Yes, who's insensitive <laughs> now? Jeez. So they, they like interrogated this guy in a really like illegal way and f- basically forced a false confession out of him. And so the HBO documentary is showing that like how unfair the trial was and how it doesn't make sense that any of these kids were like the mm-hmm. uh, the most likely suspects and how it doesn't make sense that they were even convicted at all. Yeah. So HBO did this documentary and that's the first one. And then they did another one a couple years later, basically like a recap of where they are. And then they did a third one uh, like 20 years later about – and at that point, the first one had all this acclaim and widespread popularity like uh, Eddie Vedder and Johnny Depp and the Dixie Chicks. They were all over this. Yeah, Peter Jackson because – 
there was this big movement to free the West Memphis Three. Yes. And uh, it got all this big kind of uh, – it got all this mainstream attention. And so the third one is kind of where that all hits at a point, mm-hmm. like 20 years later. So they all get convicted when they're 16. And then 20 years later, they're all still in prison. And the oldest one is on his last appeal. And they are. Uh, he's going to get. Uh, death. He, he's on. Yeah. yeah he's yeah. on death row. And so it kind of details like what they do afterwards. And I mean, it's pretty public knowledge, but I, I just I won't say how it ends anyways, in case wow. anyone's interested. At this point, I mean, it's it's kind of public knowledge, I guess. I don't know if it's spoilers. It's real. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they, they like they pled. Uh, they had a plea deal where yeah, they, so, they like profess their innocence, but it was like because we. So they take a plea so that they can they, get released and, and they, they not get the sued. state. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, it's it's scumbaggery of the highest degree. Um, it's been a while since I've watched these, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, like. So that's the story. Yeah. But uh, I was gonna say I I have an opinion on all three of them. Yep. Uh, the first one is super good. Yep. Uh, it's it's crazy sad, and it makes you really upset and mad because you're like, how can this be a thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you watch how they like the trials go yeah. and why they pinned these pinned it on these like three kids, and like the oldest one, like you you see like the footage of him in trial, and he's really well spoken, and he's like uh, he's like a really smart kid. And he's talking. They they'll be like, "Well, what about this? You ever kill a man?" Old and he's Damien like, Echel. "Yeah." He's like, "No." And they're like, "What about Wiccan? Isn't that like witchcraft?" He's like, "Not really." <laughs> and they're like, "Don't you practice Satanism?" And he's what, like, my oh. Yeah, and like he he's just like he's got a pretty good answer for everything they say, mm-hmm. but uh, they don't really care. And the one that really got me was the uh, the prosecution's key witness, like character witness. Mm-hmm. And there's a guy who's a, a doctor in like psychology and the occult and Satanism. And then the defense is like, uh, they're like, where did you get your master's? He's like, oh, that's public knowledge. It's all online. And they're like, where did you get your PhD? He's like, oh, that's public information. They can find it. I don't want to talk about it. And they're <laughs> like, did you take any classes or courses for your PhD or master's? And he's like, I don't really want to talk about it. And they're like, did you? And he's like, no. And then it's like, oh, well, that's kind of weird. And then the judge is like, oh, that doesn't really matter. Yeah. He's like, a kid could ha- be an expert in something. He doesn't have to have like a actual university degree Credentials. in it. Yeah. And it's like, what? Yeah. And so there's like stuff like that that just doesn't make sense. Um, I think I might might have mentioned this before. I tried to watch this a while ago with Andrea and uh, she was really off put by like uh, the trash factor in uh, – <laughs> the the victims families because like they're all trashy people but like the the kids who get convicted you feel really bad for them and their families like show their support and how much they care for them and they're like we believe them they're innocent and then like some of the victims families the one guy is like a nut bar that they like make they make him look really bad and then like one of the moms is like She's like not even sad. She's just like I can't believe I'm on TV, and it's just like oh man, it's like this is depressing. <laughs> um, th- so this one's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gets pretty tough to watch sometimes. They actually show you like the crime scene footage with how the bodies were dumped and like they they show the pictures over and over again, which I don't I didn't think was like legal that you could a show crime scene footage like that of bodies like uncensored. Well, they do and in, B, um the OJ made in America yeah. documentary. But also, too. 
these are minors, right? Mm-hmm. I thought there was like some kind of like legal rights that minors had that like I thought you would have to like at least and I I don't know. Isn't there a law that you can't show like the bodies of fucking eight year old eight year olds on TV? Well, I don't know. I guess I guess not. On cable, it's fine. Yeah. So I don't know. I thought that was pretty crazy, but this first one is really good. Uh, everyone should watch it because it's important that stuff like this doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And actually, after the initial start with all the bodies, Andrea came back and uh, she started watching and she was hooked. And so uh, that's how I was able to power through this bad boy in a day. It's because uh, if I can get her interested in something, it's way mm-hmm. easier. Right. Uh, so the second one is not super good. And uh, after the third one ends, you kind of feel like, oh, man, that second one's not good. Yeah. Because they like they try to pin it on <sighs> like one of the stepdads. Yeah, and they it's just, uh, activist journalism. <laughs> it's just it's really goofy because like the whole point of the first one was like how is like you shouldn't have witch hunts. And then they do one in the second one. Yeah. And it's I don't I don't like it because I feel like they encouraged it because they, they like take him out to the site where the bodies were found and they're like what would you do uh with like if you found the people and he's like i'd make them burn in hell Mm -hmm. and he's like he makes graves and sets them on fire he's like this is what i think of you and it's just like he didn't go out and do this on his own like the camera crew was probably like hey we should go out there man yeah so i feel i feel like that's really shitty because it's like I don't think that guy would have done all that stuff if it wasn't for the cameras around maybe he would have but uh like because he is kind of a like a goof mm-hmm. and when i say goof like he's a nut bar he's a little out there but still um yeah. so i don't really like the second one to be honest it's there they show a lot of footage from the first one mm-hmm. there's nothing really new it's like they wanted to give you an update which yes. they could have but it would have been like 30 minutes not a full fucking two and a half hours but it was like well we they're like we could pad time with this and they show you a lot of the same footage they go over a lot of the same stuff and then like just briefly they show the three or like where everyone is at that point and then uh so i didn't really like the second one but the third one is really good also that's uh the one where it's all the the appeals and it shows like all the new evidence that's been found and like new information like with modern more modern technology and they do DNA and they're like, oh, yeah, this kind of shows that they weren't there <laughs> and all that stuff. And then it leads to their eventual release. And so that one was I, I the first one and the third one are really good. And you should watch the second one just yeah. because it, sh- it gives you an update on like it's like the halfway point and it's important. But the second one's kind of also gross. Yeah. And what they, what they do with that guy. So I don't know. Well, especially because it doesn't age well because it's like this attack piece on this thing where it's like, oh no, he had nothing to do with it. And and even the documentary even ends with that addendum of like, oh, they did a test on him and yeah, he, he wasn't responsible. It's like, so what was the whole point of this thing? Other than to like, I guess like it's just there to Raise cast attention. doubt. It's supposed to just cast yeah. more doubt, which is like the thing of, I mean, I don't know. We I can't remember if we, were we doing the podcast when Making a Murderer? No, we, that was long past. It really, yeah it's it's time had come and gone at that point um i suspect that like my fear with whenever they do the making a murder or season two uh it might be more along how paradise lost two is right uh, right. or it might be kind of like after the fact and just be like oh we're gonna do this and despite not there not being anything new and those accusations of activist journalism might happen once again Mm -hmm. yeah yeah but uh, yeah, no. So that the second one was a bummer. But as a whole, it's uh, I think like 
it's insane to watch. It's amazing, and everyone should watch it just so, you know, so it doesn't happen. Like, shit like that doesn't happen. Mm, or shouldn't, but, you know. Or shouldn't, The, the but system ain't fair sometimes. No, it's not. It's, it's, a, work so, in, it's a work in progress. <laughs> that's right. So how's that for a creep? You creep? Pretty, pretty impressed. Pretty and impressed. then... So I don't know what you want to do here. If you want to talk about your creeping, if we should get to the main events or or what. People, active listeners will know what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll talk about my creeps and then and then we'll talk okay. about Twin Peaks. Okay. Okay. So uh, after we last spoke, I started to watch some uh, pinky violence films. Uh, I don't know. I'm not familiar okay. with whatever that means. No, I, I was going to talk about it. So, okay. pinky violence is like a subgenre of like, like Japanese action exploitation movies that's kind of came about in the late '60s through the '70s. Okay. These were kind of like, uh, like there was like a, I don't know what market it was. It's like Japan's like pornography market existed around the same point, and they were like, okay. they were like fairly well made movies. So these were kind of more like. Movies that kind of mixed it up with like sex, but not like actual sex. But these movies were also just like very post sixties pop culture, uh, mm-hmm. irreverent editing, and just like musical montages. And I guess like the one thing that's the reason why anyone even talks about this stuff in North America is because of Quentin Tarantino and uh, Kill Bill and stuff like that. Because he would talk about like his influences on making Kill Bill, or like movies like uh, like Lady Snowblood and uh, the Female Prisoner Scorpion oh, okay. movies and stuff like that. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had like I have a list of this this stuff that I've wanted to watch for a while, and uh, Arrow Video has been putting this stuff out uh, on Blu-ray in like the best versions possible for English viewers, and I've been buying all of them, and I just haven't been watching them. And a few of these I'd actually seen before, and uh, I just they're rewatches for me because like I'd seen them and I really liked them when I watched them years ago. So I kind mm-hmm. of was doing that a little bit. Uh, so I watched uh, rewatched uh, Female Prisoner Four Hundred One Scorpion and Female Prisoner Scorpion Jailhouse Forty One. <laughs> uh, Whoa! Yes, very uh, serious long, shit. Long convoluted titles, uh, mm-hmm. but these movies are pretty awesome uh, as far as like exploitation movies go. Uh, the story follows a woman who mm-hmm. she falls in love with a cop uh, who turns out to be a corrupt detective uh, with the Tokyo police and like she kind of goes undercover for this cop to uh, like bust he says these like Yakuza gangsters who are like dealing drugs but it Mm -hmm. turns out she was just like a means to an end and she gets gang raped by them and uh, and after the bust happens it was just so he could get in like get dirt on them so that they were in his pocket and working for him and Mm -hmm. she was just like kind of like tossed aside and she didn't take this well so she tries killing him uh, on the steps of uh, the police station with a knife Um, and she fails, she gets arrested, and she gets sent to this, like, crazy, like, m- maximum security, uh, like, labor camp. And that's hmm. where the movie basically kicks off. But, like, the whole thing is, like, she kind of becomes this, like, just pure engine of revenge and violence. Like, and, like uh, nice. I'm trying to remember the name of the actress, like, Miki Suki or something like that. She's, like, in all these movies. <laughs> like, she keeps popping up over and over again. But she's definitely yeah. the best in these fem- female prisoner movies because she has, like, the best, like, death stare you've ever seen hmm. in a movie. She just, she doesn't talk. She barely has any lines in these. It's just silence. And she just kind of suffers through all the torture they put her through and embarrassment yeah. and all this stuff like that. And But she just, like, she stares at you and she watches <laughs> you from a far and she basically just plots how she's going to end your life or like mangle you uh so these movies are 
great. Um, like it's, I, I think they'd be actually good introductions to this stuff because I think they're also the best of the ones that I've seen so far. Uh, yeah. And I also watched like there's this other one, this other series. It's like the uh, Stray Cat Rock series. I'd seen a few of them. Like there's like it's a five disc set that Arrow put out, and I'd seen the first one. It's like mm-hmm. go, delinquent girl group or something like that and the ones i watched since are wild jumbo and sex hunter (laughs) and like they they always have these like these Mm. titles this is what they just that's what they're called that's it sure um but these ones like i don't know they're fine but they're not like super interesting i couldn't even like tell you what the plots of these movies were other than it's like people driving around in like uh jeeps and just like getting up to Mm -hmm. no good and grabbing girls and Miko Kaji is the name of the girl that's like fantastic and is in a bunch of these movies. She's in the Lady yeah. Snowblood movies, the female prisoner ones. Uh, she's all over this stuff. But yeah, she's awesome in the female gotcha. scorpion ones. So yeah, I would be like, yeah, people check if you're interested in like that Tarantino uh, influence in like something mm-hmm. like Kill Bill. Female prisoner movies are pretty great. They're all like, yeah, women in prison movies. There's big breakouts crazy violence like men being stabbed in the eye no selling it then strangling the person to death people Hmm. being kind of like buried alive uh just you never know you never know what to expect with these and they're like fast paced um so they're just like Mm -hmm. i don't know they're they're fun rj (laughs) wait a minute what do you mean fun i thought you hated that in in the way in the best way that like weird violent kind of at times rapey movies can be but they're like, mm-hmm. but the rape isn't like, oh god, like fast, like it's a skip past this. They're fairly like, it's done as like effort, like as effortlessly, painful, painlessly as possible as far as these movies go. Because there's some of this stuff that I've come across mm-hmm. in my travels that's like, ooh, geez, someone walked in right now. This wouldn't look good. This wouldn't look good at all. I think everything you watch <laughs> comes across as oh. <laughs> Sometimes. This doesn't look good. Yeah, like the movie we'll be talking about later. Um, oh, so I God. also watched Billy Jack. If you recall, ah, last week yeah, I talked yeah. about The Born Losers, the first installment in the Billy Jack uh, franchise. I so do recall. I now watched Billy Jack, the second film uh, from 1971. Uh, Tom Laughlin's back, uh, directing under a pseudonym, writing his, his masterpiece, his opus about like uh, making America great again uh, through the like this like mumbo jumbo like first nations understanding of the world mm-hmm. and education and like it's super hippie stuff right <clears throat> so there, there's times there's these flashes these moments of when billy jack's pretty cool he's like beating mm-hmm. dudes up like he's kicking their asses he's breaking their he's just like chopping people in the throat and they die uh he's kicking people's asses out in the park um for those familiar with uh the community we live in we have this little uh area called Galt Gardens. Uh, basically, basically, Billy Jack could have been like in the middle of this park beating up like guys that shop at this place called Progress Clothing because that's oh, like God. everyone is dressed like this and he's just beating them all up. It's hilarious. Mm. Putting their heads through like into st- like steel statues and stuff like that. It's uh, my, my, sculptures, my I guess. Oh, it's it's hilarious. Uh, but those, those moments are far and few between and then there's a lot of plot um, the, the, the bat, one of the bad guys, he's like, his the son of the bad guy in this. He actually reminds me a lot of, uh, Richard Horn 
from uh, Twin Peaks. He kind of has the same type okay. of hair and look, and he's just a, a caricature. Basically, all this movie is is like caricatures of hippies and of like mm-hmm. evil white racists, um, and them just crossing paths here and there, and people staging staging uh, happenings. Uh, do you remember the uh, TV show WKRP in Cincinnati, RJ? Is that too old for is, you? Is that a TV? Sh- is that a show or uh, that was a TV? Network? That was a TV show back in the seventies that had some syndication play. But I think it might have like in the seventies. No, like I watched it when I was a kid, and it was like long done by that point. But it might not have been around when you were growing up. So anyway, one of the characters from that shows mm-hmm. up in this, and he's like far out man he's doing the thing you know talking about the cops and like everyone should come together uh it's that type of deal this movie's like uh, it's over two it's like it's almost two hours long and uh it doesn't need to be at all um not not enough exploitation for my tastes uh right. yeah billy jack so, so- it was kind of disappointing Right. Yeah, it was kind of disappointing, mm. Billy Jack. I thought I was expecting more because this movie was like a huge cultural event when it came out. This movie made yeah. a ton of money. It was mm-hmm. um, marketed super well, and people just like came out in droves to watch it. And but just watching this white guy playing a red man rising up against the system, and it was mm-hmm. like yeah, Day of Aim and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't know, mm-hmm. but it has not aged. There's a lot of better '70s things that you could be watching. I think like my next movie that I had crept on a little huh? film called white lightning starring Burt huh. Reynolds. Ooh, so that sounds fun. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I wanted to do this month uh, while watching these uh, pinky violence movies was also watch mm-hmm. some of these uh, exploitation movies that I'd been like right. creating in this big list for. And I was looking through it and I noticed a common theme of like, Oh, Burt Reynolds is in a lot of these. Maybe I should watch more Burt Reynolds movies. So I picked mm-hmm. the earliest example of uh, a exploitation movie I hadn't seen. The earliest one that he did was the, the film Deliverance, which you may or may not be familiar with. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, I think it's been out there in the wind. Uh, mm-hmm. So White Lightning, though, uh, it's a little bit lesser known, at least to me. Uh, he plays a man named Gator McCluskey. Uh, he's in, mm-hmm. he's in jail at one of those like minimums, minimum, yeah, minimum security, like work camps in the South. And you know, everyone's a good old boy. Everyone's like, ah, you won't try to run away. You know, you're just doing your bit and, uh, it's all great. But then he finds out mm-hmm. his brother's been murdered and left for dead in, <gasps> in, 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 a, in a swamp. And he's like, shit. so he's like, shit. So he like, tries to escape and they're like, what are you doing? And they just capture him again. And he's like, what are you, what are mm-hmm. you trying? I know you want to go, you know, take care of things with your family, but you've got another year. And then he makes a deal with the FBI because he's a moonshiner. Oh, shit. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so anyway, he makes a deal. He's going to, like, be released and then, like, go help arrest this corrupt sheriff in the town who's also mm-hmm. the one that they suspect killed his brother, uh, his younger brother. And uh, the, the sheriff's mm-hmm. played by Ned Beatty. So we got uh, Burt Reynolds and Ned Beatty together again. Um, nice. So anyway, yeah, this movie like is everything you could ever want from a exploitation movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Burt Reynolds is like pretty cool. He's not rocking that mustache that makes him just like a boring old schmaltzy cheesy dad. Uh, mm-hmm. He's like still a little bulky. He's wide and kind of intimidating. All the ladies are just like all over him. They're like they see him drive by and they just walk up to that window all smiles because <laughs> I don't know what it is about that was those southern climates, but boy oh boy, it gets the it gets folks in the mood because this movie is all about banging. <laughs> And, like, oh, violence, no. people getting hit in the head with shotguns, getting shot up, uh, getting drunk. 
uh, getting laid. Yeah, that's that's the, the that's the exploitation rural film uh, experience. So White Lightning, I thought was really good. I thought that it, mm-hmm. hit, it hit all the notes that I wanted while going into this. So we watched mm-hmm. the sequel, Gator, which came out like three four years Gator. later, directed yep. by Burt Reynolds in his directorial debut. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this movie was a dramatic step down. <laughs> this movie, I, really? I, I actually hated this movie. Um, what? So you hate Gator? I, I hate Gator. It's got such a sweet poster, too. This guy hates Gator. Yeah. So Gator huh. uh, takes place like a few years later. Uh, Gator's out of jail. And he's like, but he's now like set up like some sort of operation in the bayou with his dad, who like in the mm-hmm. previous film was just like a farmer. And was married, but now it's just like, oh, now it's just his grandpa. And then it's like, oh, but here's his like daughter who's like nine years old, and they're gonna live out in the bayou. And he's gonna give his daughter shit for like not going to school, even though it's like, well, why do you live out in the bayou? Like this seems impractical. But uh, so there's the whole plot is that some guy that Gator went to school with, he's now kind of like running like he's like a mob boss in like a like the Georgian line kind of thing in like Mm -hmm. northern Florida. And the, the idea is like we're gonna blackmail this guy to like uh get get this arrest in haha <laughs> so it's like kind of the same idea but now he's going against his own wishes um he has no reason to do this uh so yeah there's like jewish stereotypes and like all this like talk of like we're from the south and you're from new york and like oh in new york you do things like this down here we do it like this and it's just on and on like all nice. these yeah. and they're constantly mispointing out that the guy the fbi guy or whatever like the federal government guy he's jewish and it's just like oh is this it this is all you've got it's like not even like offen- yep. it's not even offensive it's just like boring it's like go somewhere mm-hmm. with this like come on like he's not a good character he's just annoying like he's just crap uh, yeah. and then like I don't know the, the, the most amusing things are the, his buddy uh, it's like country singer Jeremy Reed or something like that uh, He he's got the best goons he's got this giant tall man named Bones and he's got this guy uh, Smiley who's pl- like the, one of the guys from uh, Blazing Saddles he's hilarious because he literally smiles constantly and he does all his lines with a big smile on his face even when he's being yep. intimidating just standing around it's great uh, so that was like the one part of the movie I did like but then there's like of course because now Burt Reynolds has a mustache he's like thinned down he's getting a little bit leaner he's trying to be mm-hmm. like a, a really appealing ladies man and lead star uh, and oh, there's like a romantic angle <laughs> Uh, so he, like, there's like lots of like uh, soft focus and like making it on the beach and just like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's bullshit. Um, okay. yeah. So Gator, Gator sucked. Um, now that's like, oh no, what happens? Like, do I have to like draw the line now with these Burt Reynolds movies with where he has a mustache? Yep. I think I might, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that plays out. There's quite a list of, uh, Burt Reynolds movies I want to check out, which is something mm-hmm. I never thought I'd be saying. Um, uh, you're, you're pretty hot on that, Reynolds. I am, I am. But uh, yeah, that's about it for my creeps that I'll bring up. Okay. So, uh, this past week, uh, mm-hmm. Twin Peaks The Return wrapped up. Episodes mm-hmm. 17 and 18 aired on Sunday night. And uh, it seems like uh, a, a very small portion of the world is still watching at that point. Yeah. Uh, it was like the committed people who stuck it through, who couldn't say yes. no. Um, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I watched it late that night after watching movies mm-hmm. like White Lightning and Gator. Um, and I thought it was pretty fantastic. 
uh, it wasn't okay. at all what I was expecting, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I guess, like a good thing, uh, ultimately. Um, right. But, yeah, I have a lot of thoughts and stuff like that okay. about it. But And we haven't really talked about it too, too much uh, on, Not at uh, all. on Messenger, uh, thoughts and feelings yeah. and whatnot. But, uh, mm-hmm. RJ, what did you think of uh, those last two episodes of Twin Peaks? And my second question will be, what did you think of the return as a whole? Mm, I wasn't prepared to talk about this. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so I'm going to tell you a Twin Peaks story because yep. I got stories today. So I wanted to watch it on Sunday night also because, as you pointed out, there are a lot of buttheads on the Internet mm-hmm. who like to spoil things for people yep. because apparently they get off on making other people feel bad <laughs> or some or like spoil, whatever. And uh, so I was like, I'm going to watch that fucker. I was like, there's no work tomorrow. It's Labor Day. I'm going to stay up late for once, damn it. So I stayed up, and I threw that shit on. And about 20 minutes into episode 17, Andrea came downstairs. She's like, what are you watching? I was like, I'm watching Twin Peaks, baby. And I was eating some chips. She's like, okay, I'm not tired yet. I'm just going to stay up for like 20 minutes. And Andrea watched episode 17 (laughs) of Twin Peaks with me. And she's like, this is a good show. I was like, yeah, I know. (laughs) I was like, like, I've been trying to get you to watch it for a while. She's like, you never brought this show up. Like, she knows that I've been watching it, like, the new stuff. She was like, she's like, what? Uh, And I was like, yeah, I've been trying to get you to watch this show for a while. I was like, I think you would really like it. She's like, oh, cool. She's like, we should watch this show. So at that point, Jared, it was, it was, it came down to this. I could either watch episode 18 and finish it, or me and her were going to do a deep dive and go right into the pilot again and start over. <laughs> but uh, she cut me a mercy, and she was like, okay, hey, you just finish it. She's like, well, if you want to watch it again, we'll watch it sometime, like, soon. And I was like, okay. So uh, episode 17, uh, got someone who has completely no, <laughs> no history with David Lynch or Twin Peaks at all, and she was like, huh, this is pretty good. And it didn't actually, like spoiled too much like it doesn't it didn't show kind of what happens even though it does kind of go back to that fire walk with me stuff a little bit a so anyway <laughs> i i uh that was just my twin peaks story i thought i would tell you that's um, uh that, that's like gotta be a the, she's probably the only person that will ever happen to yeah. Who will walk in on the second last episode of a television series <laughs> that is also like the very nature of what Twin Peaks is and be like, oh, yep. I should check this out. This seems pretty neat. Pretty neat. Yep. Yep. So uh, I thought that was, I was just like, huh, Kate is <laughs> pretty funny. Uh, so anyways, uh, I think episode 17 is super fucking good. Uh, they, it's kind of what you expect it to be. Coop comes back, kind of like there's a save the day moment. Uh, you get your superhero Iron Fist. He's in there doing yeah. stuff. Uh, the secretary lady, I never remember her name. Is it Cindy? Lucy. 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 She she has a triumphant moment. Andy is there. All, all of them are back. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what you want. And then David Lynch is like, nope. And then Coop goes on this journey, and you're just like, holy shit, what's happening? And then Jack Nance pops up for a minute, and you're just like, oh, my God, I missed Jack Nance. You're like, I wish he could have been in this. And then the story progresses, and you're just like, 
I don't know about you, but I was just like, holy fuck. I was like, did they plan this out like 20 years ago? Or are they just that good at editing things together that, uh, and like picking up where they left off that they, they're just like, let's go do this. And like, just like, you know what I mean? Like how well things kind of went together. I was just like, this is nuts. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I was like, this changes everything, but it's what they planned all along. And seven episode 17 ends and you're just like, holy shit. You're like, what's going to happen next? And then episode 18 starts and big David Lynch pulls a fast one on you. And he says, and he does a very Lynchy thing. And he's like, this is exactly what would happen next. And you have this very slow and, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Deliberate, like <laughs> episode. And, uh, I, I liked it too. Um, I, I won't, I don't want to say that like I, w I wasn't disappointed. I don't think it was like a lackluster thing or that he didn't tie up loose ends, mm -hmm. but I was a little, I, I wanted more, I think is all is like the only kind of like negative thing I could say about it is. And I think that's how most people felt, right? It was like episode 18 leaves you wanting more. You're like, what you're like, what happened? So, like, we want to see what more the characters were doing and all that. So I, I like episode 18 a lot too. I think there's some cool stuff and I'm going to think of, we're going to talk about theories as a whole, but, uh, oh, I, uh, it, it really left me wanting more of more twin peaks. And I hope that, uh, there is, I know Mark Frost is going to have another book come out in like a month of October. So, uh, we'll, I, I've got we'll, that. We'll check that out. I've got that pre-ordered. <laughs> there you go. So we'll, we'll check that out, but no, yeah, it, uh, it definitely just left me wanting more, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But yeah, um, it's super fucking good. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to think of where to go. With. Oh yeah, so there. I think it's frustration is the word that comes to mind. Not disappointment, oh, okay. but there's definitely frustration because there was a when you're watching that last episode and you realize the way that it's edited and the way it's paced mm -hmm. and the, what what they're showing you and what they're not showing you, and you're just like counting down because the whole thing is like, the whole show the whole process of watching the show has been a lot of like awareness of time and you're yeah. like they got this many hours to get everything figured out they have this much time to do it and get this story resolved and this and this and this and i think like the biggest one probably comes down to audrey horn's fate i yeah. think there's like this idea that you're like what's what's when are they going to tie this into audrey where's audrey yeah. what's audrey doing right now why why are we in the car why, why are we, mm -hmm. why are we, why, where are we driving? Why are all these shots of them driving? Where are they going? Please, why, yeah. why is it always night? Why are we always driving with headlights down <laughs> roads in the dark? And where are they? Where are they going? What is this? Yeah. And like, you're just like, it's like this anxiety of like that. And I don't know uh, if it's like so much playing with audience expectations and being totally aware of what your audience is thinking and like how they're responding to the <laughs> material. Like, are they... Going to or is, is it okay if your audience is not completely invested in what's happening on the screen because they're not getting what they want, or yeah. because of like you're you're building up this tension in what's happening and like you're mm -hmm. like the dread of like there's no time left there's like there's this is it yeah. this is the inevitability of things um, mm -hmm. and so there's that feeling that I had watching that 18th that last episode. That, yeah. That's like my legitimate feeling watching it. And like every scene that takes longer, you're like, mm -hmm. well, couldn't they be doing this instead? Could, like, shouldn't they be showing like so-and-so and like what mm -hmm. happened to like so-and-so's daughter and what happened to Caleb in the woods and like all these things that like they never mm – -hmm. 
they don't go back because it doesn't matter. It doesn't doesn't mean anything. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like it, it's. I mean, it kind of turns into like a sequel to Fire Walk with Me at the end of the day. Yeah. Like, yeah, it does. And uh, like, um, it, it's like it's the story of Agent Cooper. And like, I, I've been thinking about the show nonstop pretty well since it aired like obviously mm-hmm. maybe not non-stop that's uh, exaggerating but I've been thinking about it an awful lot like I went to bed thinking about it I even kind of yeah. dreamt about it a little bit I woke up thinking about it and then I started going to work and like going through the episode like and like finding screenshots mm-hmm. and then I even started back over again at the very beginning and just like going back to that first conversation that uh, Cooper has with the, the fireman the, the giant mm-hmm. and you get like the 430 number you get the mention of Richard and Linda and two birds yep. with one stone and you're like oh yeah like they knew exactly where they were going they weren't making it up as they went they had like a very like thoroughly thought out plot they weren't forgetting yep. anything I mean who knows what was left on the cutting room floor what scenes we don't yeah. see or whatever like that's I mean, this is all very deliberate, um, mm-hmm. but I think like part of the thing that maybe people were not like, I think maybe this, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I think a lot of people maybe don't like that they now have presented Agent Cooper as a flawed person who doesn't always make the right decision. Um, and, yeah. and he's become like, it was hubris, uh, and that, and that's kind of what like happened. And that's what we got to watch was, uh, Agent Cooper failing, um, multiple yep. times and uh, uh, we, we're, I don't know like we're presented with like I think like one of the best endings I think of a TV show which is like some people would like they hate it like they absolutely yeah. like, fucking hate yeah. the end of it because they're never there's never going to be any answers at this point in time there is yep. no fourth season forthcoming like mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's going to happen I don't think it's needed no. I think this yeah. like hit in a way that like is raw and more real uh, because like I think the the frustration people had was so palatable mm-hmm. and uh, like this was like a real like fucking knife to the face knife to the emotional yeah. guts just like oh like when that ending hit and like the words starring Kyle McLaughlin pop up and you're just like <laughs> fuck like yeah it's I don't know if, I, I can't think of very many things I've watched where I was like so invested in something that mm-hmm. I don't know if I was like necessarily enjoying in the conventional way like in a way where I was like I'm really enjoying this driving down the road stuff, but like, yeah. cause it, it changes from that. Like, it's not just that it's like, that's exaggerating. But I mean, those, those mm-hmm. moments feel like an eternity because the show is also fully aware. They have to be fully aware that they're yeah. not giving you what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my feeling on that right. 18th episode. I mean, the 17th episode, I think is very much like a continuation of like the previous two, which are like right. kind of more like, this is what people have always been wanting out of their twin. Exactly. Peaks. And like, yeah, yeah. we get all our familiar faces, the reunions, which are all done very quickly, but we're still getting these great subtle moments of like, mm-hmm. of evil Coop being asked if he wants coffee. And he's like, no, mm-hmm. thanks. I'm good. And you're like, Jesus, like it's <laughs> like, Oh, like yeah. no one, he's totally evil. That Frank Truman mm-hmm. would never know that. Like, and, and yeah. I love was it, is it his line of like I'm I'm good. It's hilarious. It's like but it's so subtle yeah. and quick. Like it, you could miss so much because there's like so much going on because you're like you are fearing for the lives of everybody in the, the police station. Like you mm-hmm. like you're like oh god, this is the one guy they've set up for 17 episodes that like will kill 
without hesitation and he will yep. he will rape you he will shoot you in the head like he is mm-hmm. like he, he has nothing to lose and he won't get caught because no one has caught him in, for 27 years mm-hmm. and he's like oh god all our characters even like Robert Forster who we've only known for this season like we don't want anything bad to happen to anybody here and yeah. it's like it's so it was great um, mm-hmm. even, even like uh, Blob Bob <laughs> The floating Ooh. blob. Oh blob. yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and like we had the uh, our last glimmer of hobos and shit. <laughs> I don't know. Like it, uh, mm-hmm. it was it was a strange ending. And then we had the wonderful image of just like, uh, uh, Cal McLaughlin at opacity fifty percent over the preceding like fallout oh, yeah, of that. Yeah. And it's like in yeah. the the music shift in the audio, and you're like, what the oh god, what's going mm-hmm. on? Why are things not working out properly? What well, there's mm-hmm. something amiss. Things aren't our happy ending there are no happy endings what is this ah man yeah i'm with you man feelings you know i uh i think one of the big things is like what you said too where there's a lot of people who were like actively mad about it and like that's fine but i think one of the biggest things too is when twin peaks aired before and like when most of david lynch's like most of his stuff comes out people usually like there's a lot of people who don't like it at first right and then in time it grows on them and then like you you learn more about it like all those people who are re-watching the whole series now like that are going to do it right away and they're going to tease out all these like super fine details that no one no one caught and you're going to realize like all all these so much more that was put into it and you're just gonna be like wow these guys really did it hey because I think one thing that you said too is like you're still thinking about it, mm-hmm. and I think that, I think that's like more than anything whether you like the ending or not. Yeah, I'm sure everyone who watched it the whole way through is still thinking about it. Yeah, I saw like some people mention. Uh, I think there's some uh, uh, accuracy to this. Is like I think with a show like this, like people seem to be having the show really close to their hearts, and so there's sort yeah. of like this like undeserved shared authorship that I think the audience Mm -hmm. has with the show where they expect it to go in a particular direction and they have, they know what they want, wanted it, where they wanted it to go and everything like that. And then they didn't do those things. Mm -hmm. And that, and and I think there's a bitterness there that is like what you're talking about too. Like Mm -hmm. at least with this, like, I mean, there's, there's still people who like fucking go off about fire walk with me. Like when they announced that for criterion, people are like, they hate the movie. And I'm like, it, but it's his best movie, I'd argue. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's really good. Um, but, and I mean, this show is a continuation of it, but those people are still watching. Like, they were expecting something else. Yeah. And it's like, no, D- David Lynch has gone on this road like a long time ago, and he just keeps going mm-hmm. down this path. And I mean, this is like far more in line with what I want to see from him than Inland oh, Empire. Yeah. Um, Fuck yeah. And it's it's got a lot in common with like Mulholland Drive structure mm-hmm. because Mulholland Drive like introduces subplots and ideas that don't play out at all and people seem to have forgotten this like completely um like just like there's like the hitman and stuff like that and like just like random stories in the back of like the restaurant and like there's stuff that never pays off and it's just there and the show has stuff like that as well um Mm -hmm. but well yeah sorry oh sorry No, no um but i don't know uh what you could be saying about this so i mean it comes back to like what scenes are really important while watching this show. And like mm-hmm. the thing that people really started picking up on, and I saw people tweeting out and stuff like that, uh, as the show wrapped up was like the, 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 the dream stuff. 
Like the whole yes, idea, of like the, yes, the Monica yes. Bellucci scene, that seems to be people yeah. really like seem to be like, honing in on it because it kind of mm-hmm. helped make sense, I guess, of what was going on. This idea mm-hmm. that like the show, like, because like, like I guess there's like this idea, of, like, what is Twin Peaks? Is everything right. we've ever like was Twin Peaks ever real? And that maybe is also mm-hmm. like the frustration thing because it introduces this uncomfortable idea that like in like where do we draw the line of what is like. um real in our understanding of what the show we've been watching all these years like was Mm -hmm. Twin Peaks ever real like was it like is there a real world where like the show that we watched in season two actually occurred and it's not until the new season where like it's opened up uh the world's opened up and we start realizing that there's perhaps different planes of like Mm -hmm. realness uh or like if, if everything's a dream there's like there's legitimacy in each of those uh but then even the one that we invest in is questionable mm-hmm. so i just don't know yeah yeah no yeah i i saw a few things like that too that i thought were really neat like uh a lot of like you said a lot of people were picking up on that monica baluki thing where it's like she's talking to david lynch it's not agent cole it's david lynch yeah. and it's just like he it's like he is the dreamer and it's like okay that's like that's a cool theory and then i saw um uh, comic writer Rick Remender or Remender. Yeah, he had he was detailing a, the a dream theory, pretty cool or pretty good um, about this all being Laura's dream, where it's just like it's her escape from like uh, being sexually abused like all the time, and it's like he actually he does a good job. If anyone's on Twitter, you should check it out because he makes a pretty compelling story about how like it's an escape world for her where it's like, yeah, an FBI, like the FBI would come in and it'd be this super agent. And then there's like a superhero with a green glove that like takes down the evil. And then, uh, like even the, the abuser, it's not really them. It's this grander evil doing it. And that's like the only way to rationalize the, uh, the horrible things that are happening to her Hmm. and stuff like that. I don't having watched which there there's some holes to that yeah but there's I, also like it's just a, the reason i bring it up is it's these are the things that i've been thinking about all week where it's like i see all these new theories and stuff like that and it's like man this is so cool because it's like when when abc sh- or like when other shows air like what you put on fucking facebook you're like i'm not thinking about game of thrones anymore yeah it's, well no it's you, like, you never did like no one no yeah. one no one thought about game of thrones like the next day after oh zombie dragon and then like whoop-de-doo like you move on with your day and then it's like you don't you don't think about other than like plot possibilities and you're not like thinking about the show like in this really meaningful way um yeah so i mean i'll so one of the most interesting things for me has been like reading people's takes on it people who are like really well versed in david lynch too like people aren't just like I don't know. That was weird. <laughs> like people were like yeah, really yeah. like put there their was a lot of it. that, and it's really amazing how like no, p- people all have very different takes on the ending. Like, and it's kind of mm-hmm. like really. I'm like I didn't think about it like that, and I and I don't agree with them, but I find it fascinating that like there, there's now more possibilities with it. And I mean, right. like, it really comes down to like uh, I think I, I shared this. I saw other. I got this from other people too, posting it. The like the Jude thing 
the uh oh yeah it's yeah. like it's like and it's like totally introduced in like what the last episode like the 17th episode mm-hmm. or the very beginning of what a jude is is an, an evil entity that they've been talking yeah. about and the blue rose thing is all about and it's like well mm-hmm. and then it's translated to judy uh or like just like uh spoken as judy but then like jude uh there's the chinese word of jude which translates to to explain and if anyone has ever watched mm-hmm. uh a david lynch interview David Lynch is not a fan of explanations. Mm-hmm. Um, he thinks that they just they're uh, they terminate thought. They just like if you give make it too easy for your audience, you're not really doing your job. Um, and he's like always been against that. I mean, I went back into my yeah. Lynch on Lynch book and I was reading uh, the chapter on Twin Peaks and how they were basically forced to like resolve the who killed Laura Palmer mm-hmm. Laura Palmer story like when they did because. Yeah. That was like ABC's dictate that you have to do it this way. Um, Mm -hmm. And I mean, if it was just up to Lynch and Frost, they would have just probably kept going and going. Like who knows how long it would have taken. Like that to them was like not the most important thing about the show, Um, Mm -hmm. which is like, of course, hilarious because like, I mean, they got to do that this time too. And and this time they got to do whatever (laughs) they wanted. And this is like closer to what they probably, what David Lynch would have probably liked to started doing back in like the 90s. Um, rather than what he's always had to do. So this is like as uncompromised as he's going to get, uh, with the scale that he can work at and whether or not like doing it with twin peaks, this idea he's revisiting 27 years after the fact and like applying Mm -hmm. his new worldview to this show that like people hold in this like kind of like weird, like Ember state. But I mean, I don't know. It's like whatever. It's he, he, he did it. It's done. Yeah. And now he did to, it. And, and now he's reframed the show in this completely kind of like hostile, violent way. Because so I'll throw out my theory. Like my first, my first thoughts walking away from the show is that it was like a like I don't know. The show was like this like really psychically violent attack on nostalgia. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So like it is like. David, like, so Agent Cooper becomes the audience, this sort of like right. d- this detective who's going to solve the case. And he's like, mm-hmm. thinks so highly of himself that like he's going to go back into the history of the show. And he literally goes back into like frames of the TV show to like, just like solve the, to solve it all and fix it all. And he fails. Mm-hmm. But some people say he succeeds. Like, but I've also read some people say that he succeeds and that he's created an yep. alternate universe, which I don't. I don't think the show is dealing with alternate universes. I think it's dealing with dreams. Like it's dealing with, it's just a different dream. Um, Just to even like argue that specific point, the the Mm -hmm. bit with um, when, when dark coop goes to the, the space in the, the spot in the forest and he gets sucked up into it and we get the beautiful uh, PS two (laughs) graphics of the, like the cosmic space or whatever you want to call it, the the White Lodge, the satellite, whatever. We don't even know what it is with a giant floating head and like a room with like a bunch of like electrical conduit boxes that are very similar to the one that Philip Jeffrey is in. Um, Mm -hmm. And then he gets like his, he gets caught in a cage and then he gets like transported to like this device, which is like a slideshow screen where you can go through different Mm -hmm. spots and he gets deposited where he needs to be. And when he pops out, the lighting's completely different. Like it's all bright. Mm -hmm. Unlike every other scene you've seen with him lately where they've all been dark and overcast and him driving it along like power lines and alternate universes Mm -hmm. and dream spaces and he's like what the hell like it's like it's almost like he's been snatched out from another space 
and transported yeah. to where he needs to be. And, and it's like, I have no idea that there's anything to that, but like his reaction to it was like surprise. Like he doesn't know what's mm-hmm. going on either. Cause he's also going around saying who's Judy. Um, yeah. Cause like, I guess the, that evil coop probably is uh, unable to think of things non-laterally. Like he's mm-hmm. only able to look at things as like, uh, material things it's like who is this woman where is she and not yeah. his like ideas so that, that would be like his flock because he's like the evil side I guess which would be like in David Lynch's mind probably evil it's like a person who only thinks mm-hmm. in terms of material things and then anyway going back to this thing of like da- of Agent Cooper he gets his opportunity uh, to mm-hmm. I don't know continue his life he could go back to Janie and live a life because um, he's, mm-hmm. he's saved the day but he's going to go one step further and uh, he's going to, he's going to save Laura Palmer who ostensibly back in the eighth episode is sort of like goodness deposited into the world. And it's not necessarily yeah. even agent Cooper. Who's like made this decision because in the very first episode, he was basically sent on this mission. He's told these, this number of four thirty, which is the distance he travels with, um, uh, Diane. Oh, the miles. Yeah, the yeah. miles. That's like how many miles. That's how he interprets it as. And you never know because in this in the Twin Peaks universe, good is sort of powerless uh, yeah. to like communicate clearly, whereas evil gets to act very directly and is very effective in the world, just like mm-hmm. in real life. And good is sort of like they have to speak backwards and in code and in vagueness mm-hmm. and in visuals. It's like it's, it's not easy to be good. Um, and so hit him and Diane hit the road, uh, and they drive out to the spot that the show all started back at. Cause that's when it's like mm-hmm. basically the same area where evil coop crashes his car when, um, yep. when Dale tries yep. to jump out of the curtain and he gets waylaid by evil arm, mm-hmm. <laughs> evil arm tree. <laughs> um, and, uh, they show up and then uh, he, they cross over into something, mm-hmm. but it's like, okay, at what point? when he came out of the curtain after saving the day or like, or like, like taking Laura aside through the woods and then she gets taken away by this, this giant scream. And then the universe kind of like exists where Laura Palmer has been saved, but maybe not. They they now have to go back out into the twin peaks world, drive a certain distance. And then he's like, Mm -hmm. I don't know what happens after this. It's left all very vague. We don't know what that meant when he drove through this, Mm -hmm. except that, um, I don't know. The characters sort of changed their manner of speaking. Yeah. Uh, like, like uh, Kyle McLaughlin is kind of talking like Evil Coop does in that slow mm-hmm. mannered manner way of speaking that he has. And they get a hotel room, and then it just kind of continues forward mm-hmm. with doppelgangers again and uh, weird menacing cowboys in diners. Um, and then, and a woman who looks just like Laura Palmer in a house with a dead man. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. uh, they decided to take a trip back and we don't know where they are, except that it seems like it's a world that resembles our own more so than it does a, the Twin Peaks universe that the, the, Mm -hmm. the, the double R diner is actually the, what the location is in the real city that the show was shot on. And mm-hmm. it's cl- and it's closed, even though it's a twenty four hour <gasps> diner. So in this, in mm-hmm. in our world or whatever you want to call it, it's closed. And they go to the house, yeah. and the house is owned by the woman who actually owns the house in real life now. Playing, oh. yeah. Is it, so okay? Is that what that was? 
I d- well no because her name's different. Like because she is not yeah. Mrs. Uh, Chalmont or or Chefmont. Yeah. Um, and then that because that's a reference back to the old lady, uh, mm-hmm. in the original series that also there was like duplicity at work. Um, yeah. But yeah, no that that woman uh, is the actual owner of the house right now. Hmm. And it's a failure. The mission fails, and then there's that just long lingering shot. And it's really uh, when I was going back through watching it, when they, the very beginning of the 18th episode with Dougie going back home, there's no yeah, like yeah. the the editing of it is like done in one shot, and they're all in they're they're all shared in one shot. Uh, Naomi mm-hmm. Watt and Kyle McLaughlin and Sunny Jim, they're all in one shot together, and they're together yeah. as a family, and they're home. And the last thing we see is like all the shots of like the, the them talking to one another. It's all oppositional shooting. It's like it's really great filmmaking because you don't notice it till you mm. slow it down and go back through it. But like everything is like again, you never see them, you never see the house, and you never see Kyle yeah. and Laura Palmer uh, together in the same shot mm-hmm. as the house. They're always against it. Like they're not allowed in the house and they're le- left out of it. And it's like very oh, similar okay. to the Sarah Palmer uh, scene with uh, uh, Hawk from a few yeah. episodes earlier. Yeah. Oh, and so I don't know. This whole idea I have of like this, like the show is like a, like David Lynch's like issue with fandom. Maybe it's just yeah. like the scene when like he saves Kyle McLaughlin or Agent Cooper saves the day, and there's like mm-hmm. that really intense, crazy scene with uh, uh, Sarah Palmer like attacking the photograph and like just oh, yeah, just, yeah. just yeah. attacking it over and over and over again. And I was like, man, that's like weird. And then I was thinking back to like when um, Leland Palmer smashes the television at the very beginning of uh, Fire Walk With Me. It's sort of this like kind of cutting the cord to like television as the means of yeah. like delivering Twin Peaks. Now it's a movie. Um, <laughs> and now we have like yeah. Sarah Palmer, who's like kind of like the other side of that family dynamic of like, oh, yeah, yeah I know I, my husband was raping my daughter for years. I knew about it. And now she's like also the person that's destroying the actual key image of Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. the photo of Laura Palmer. Yeah. And there's like the the fact there's no answers and there's this failure and there's screaming and pain. It's just like, <laughs> ah, so effective. Yeah. Hey, it's a good show. <laughs> yeah. It's all right. <laughs> Yeah. No, yeah. Um, I think you made some good points, man. I don't know. I don't have much to add, but uh, I really dug it, and <laughs> I look forward to. I look forward to watching it again, and maybe I'll I'll be able to pull some more out of it because I've only ever seen it once through. And now so, you and Andrea will watch it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, yeah, I. Uh, I think you're onto something there, Duncan. Yeah, maybe. I think you got some hot takes. Oh, they're they're smoking hot. Smoking hot. One thing I learned that I had absolutely no idea about, though, was uh, so Mark Frost, co-creator of Twin Peaks, his father is Warren Frost, who is uh, Dr. Uh, Oh, God, what's her name? Donna. Donna's father, Warren Frost, the actor, who's also like Susan's dad in Seinfeld, that actor who died, who we saw very briefly on the uh, on Skype. Uh, this yeah, season, yeah. that's actually Mark Frost's dad. I had no idea that that, that was his Aww. dad, his actor dad who died. Hmm. Yeah. Well, well, he's dead. He's dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, what a what a weird, wacky experience we've had mm. the last uh, eighteen or sixteen weeks or whatever right. it has been. Four months of peaks, yeah. and now it's wrapping up here. <laughs> 
Well, one, one thing that's funny is, uh, well, now it's just going to be left to like people who are like really into David Lynch and on right. uh, internet podcasts and blogs, yeah. writing their theories down, mapping out yeah. visual cues and things like that, which is all kind of like, just goes back to the, maybe the contempt that David Lynch holds fans mm-hmm. of this stuff up even though i'm sure he's not taking he's not turning away that sweet marketing money because there's so much merch now all your oh, all, all your like pops. your funko pops and garbage yeah yeah you can get your yeah. bob you'll get your fucking rapist murderer <laughs> uh b- fucking pop final yeah it's, mm-hmm. it's great <laughs> yeah isn't that what every kid wants on their dresser is a, a bob right next mm-hmm. to the body of laura palmer and a you know, Vogue Lady, all your favorites. Yeah, she died of cancer. Get her on your desk. <laughs> Where she'll live right, forever. Right with your Carrie Fisher. Uh, yeah, and your Toby Hooper. Where's my uh, Woody Allen and Roman Polanski pop vinyls? Am I right? <sighs> I wish I had a cricket sound bite <laughs> that I could play. That'd be fun. Uh, um. Man, there's something else I was going to mention out there. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, David Lynch uh, website on our Facebook group, they've been promoting, like, he's going to be doing, like, a open, like, Q&A at, for uh, oh. Transcendental Meditation. And uh, all the comments are just, are people, like, mad? <laughs> what did the end of Twin Peaks mean? Yeah, that's all it's going to be. And he'll be like, it's about mystery. <laughs> like, it'll be the same. We shit. are the dreamer. Yeah. It's all there if you look closely enough. Do you think he just says that so people like go back and look at it, even though he's just like, yeah, I, there, a lot of this doesn't make sense, but I, I'm, that's I'd, the point. Yeah, I'd be, I don't know. Like when you read Lynch on Lynch, he's pretty straightforward with stuff in his anecdotes. Yeah. He just doesn't talk about, he doesn't want to talk about meaning and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. We'll see when that Blu-ray comes out. Maybe it's got some of those sweet special <laughs> features. Um, maybe it'll mm-hmm. just be like, he'll have like no chapter stops and it'll just be one 18 hour movie that you have to watch in one sitting from ever on ever. <laughs> I'd be into that. That'd be fun. No, my, like I, um, there, I mean, it wasn't without faults, but I mean, I would like love, uh, Mary Sweeney, his ex-wife, uh, former Mm -hmm. editor to go through it and, uh, tighten it up into like probably the best thing he's ever made. Cause I think it might be in there. If you take it up there. Yeah. Like I said before, like, I think like when you watch missing pieces, it's like all stuff that's like, oh, it's neat to watch, but Mm -hmm. it's not necessary either. Cause he made like, firewalk with me and i think yeah. you could probably do the same thing again and this essentially would just be like a movie it would be like a very long movie like uh fanny and alexander yeah. length but uh and it would be like a fantastic like uh experience to do it something like that like i don't know you'd probably lose that eighth episode in some way or maybe it would just be in the middle right dumped in the middle yeah right in the middle yeah. it'd be it'd be a nice little uh breather oh okay so i think the big one though for me for mysteries is like so who is the girl who had the bug crawled into her mouth of Who's the girl who had the bug crawled into her, her mouth? mouth? Yeah. Who are the people at the bar that are talking about all the weird shit that's going on? What happened to, uh, bo- um, what's her face? The waitress's daughter's boyfriend yeah. out in the woods. Well, he, he, he's dead, I guess. And that's fine. Yeah. Ben Horn's naked in like a jail cell somewhere. Yeah. Uh, that's all who, fine. Who was the guard dog in the jail? Who made the orangutan sounds? Oh, he was that, like, yeah. ah. he, he was there. He had the drip, droopy face. He he served his purpose. What happened to the zombie girl that rose up out of the car? The spookiest um, image in all of Twin Peaks. Well, it's definitely one of the most iconic moments from the series. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh. So so much so much fun we had. So much. There were so many memories. Those like or like the like fact that uh, Sarah Palmer is still like I guess a possessed by the 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 black entity that just the static man static monster that kills you dead and slices yeah. and dices and eats your throat out yeah that like maybe it's out there maybe it's not um see the thing it goes back to is i think with, with uh, again with uh, agent cooper as a flawed man uh yeah. back in the original series uh audrey horn was left to her own devices at one eye jacks until he he happened uh, to remember that she was gone and look under his bed he kind of was <laughs> like he was very myopically focused on the case and like was avoiding yeah. like, not he was like recovering from being shot and whatnot but he forgot about audrey there too <laughs> everyone forgets about audrey audrey's a lot in life in wherever yep. she is, in an insane asylum, in a hospital, in a coma, who knows? The mystery lives on, and it gives people speculation. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just frustrating, right? Uh, hey, yeah. RJ, any, any news? <laughs> Fuck no. We don't got no news today, brah. You watched that Gerald's Game trailer? I did. Yeah, it looks like they're going for it fully with, uh, you know, raped kids and uh, spooky um voices that aren't there mm-hmm. so i remember i was like oh it's the movie or it's the book that can't be filmed and it's because like she has like voices in her head of like people she knows but it's really just her mm-hmm. and i i, I watch it and it's like yeah you just have the person there as a narrator like why was yep. that such an issue <laughs> exactly why could no one figure that out but, but uh, she's naked well we'll just put a night or nighty on her now now that's yeah. solved solved and then uh yeah it's like I, when i read the book and i talked about it on the show i was like i don't i was like there's this weird like rape part in there which is a little gross <laughs> or like a, a, a molestation and you're like I, like i was saying too i was like i don't know why it's in there i guess to like be part of her character where it's like you can get through this but it's in the movie too and it, like it was a pretty it seemed like a pretty main point in that trailer Mm. It's where he's like, he put them cuffs on you when you was a little kid. And it's like, like, did you see, did you pick up on that? Uh, Maybe you had to read the book where, where it happens. But I was like, oh, gross. My, uh, my, my complaint with it is it doesn't look very well shot based on that Mm. trailer. It looks like. Yeah, I don't know. It looks pretty bland, which is like kind of my issue with uh, Ouija as well. Is it just like didn't look yeah, that great? Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I'm not happy about that. But well, we'll we'll get Flanagan on the show one day to talk about it. Yeah, as you slide around and make noises on your microphone. Hey, shut up! No one can hear this. Well, okay, that's it for news and shit. Yep, <laughs> we've got a review to do. Oh God! After the break, we're going to watch some opera.
And we're back. And tonight we're talking about The Magic Flute from 1975, directed by Ingmar Bergman. From the letterbox uh, synopsis and uh, the tagline, <laughs> we only see Bergman, we only hear Mozart. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, okay. The Queen of the Night enlists a handsome prince named Tamino to rescue her beautiful kidnapped daughter, Princess Pamina, in the screen adaptation of the beloved Mozart opera. Aided by the lovelorn bird hunter Papagino and a magical flute that holds the power to change the hearts of men, young Tamino embarks on a quest for true love, leading to the evil Sarastro's Temple, where Pamina is held captive. So it's like a real, like, Super Mario Brothers type deal. <laughs> yep. Like, or like Zelda, if you will. Because sure. he's got a flute, that Link, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's got an ocarina. Oh, he's got one of those two. But no, I think in, like... Uh, Link to the past. He's got a flute, and it teleports him to magical lands. Maybe you got a flute. You ever think about that? Do 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 do. Yep. Are, are we recording? <laughs> yeah, we're we, yeah. It's we're live, oh, pal. Geez. Okay. Uh, <laughs> whoops. Whoops. Yeah. We're, it's, this is all going out. Um, okay. So anyway, uh, I was not familiar with the magic flute really, uh-huh. other than I knew it was a opera. And I knew that that didn't interest me. Uh, uh-huh. I, lo- I-, I like me that Ingmar Bergman, but this, this material just was like, nah. so I never really wanted to like go out of my way to like spend any amount of money or, or time yeah. on this. Um, mm-hmm. Perhaps I'll talk a little bit about the background of the magic flute itself. Yeah, from, you should. <laughs> from, from, from Wikipedia. Uh, Although Bergman carried out the project in his mid-50s, it was rooted in his youth. He first saw the magic flute at the Royal Opera in Stockholm when he was 12 and hoped then to recreate in his marionette theater at home. He could not do so because he couldn't afford the cost of a recording. Also, while still a child, he serendipitously rediscovered the Baroque theater that served as the inspiration for his much later production. And this is from a quote from him. As a boy, I loved Rome... I love to roam around. Uh, one October day, I set out for Drottenholm in Stockholm to see its unique court theater from the 18th century. For some reason, the stage door was unlocked. I walked inside and saw for the first time the carefully restored Baroque theater. I remember distinctly what a bewitching experience it was, the effect of Kiarosko, the silence, the stage. In my imagination, I have always seen the magic flute living inside that old theater in that keenly acoustical wooden box with its slanted stage floor, its backdrops and wings. Here lies 
is the noble, magical illusion of theater. Nothing is. Mm-hmm. Everything represents. The moment the curtain is raised, an agreement between stage and audience manifests itself, and now together will create. In other words, it is obvious that the drama of the magic flute should unfold in a Baroque theater. Um, so, yeah, I mean, reading that it re- re- reminds me of, like, uh, Fanny and Alexander, which is, like, autobiographical and like the mm-hmm. whole like the fact that it's like a it's a family of like theater performers and they have this like big performance and stuff like that so I, there is like that aspect that probably draws Bergman to like wanting to make this project in the first place is like just his relationship with the stage and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, I have none of that I have <laughs> never <laughs> seen opera in my life um, I generally ever, ever w- when would have I wow, seen opera <laughs> no so I, I have a real aversion to like live theater and like live performance for the most part. Um, I really don't go out of my way to see like musical performance, like just singing like concerts mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I just don't really care too, too much. The little bit of times I see it, I'm always like impressed by like the sound of people's voices or like their mm-hmm. skill at using instruments and stuff like that. But at the same time, I don't know, not really ever been my thing. I like years ago, uh, I was really scarred by a, uh, a really bad, like, uh, theater production at the university of, uh, this play called popcorn. And mm-hmm. it was just horrendous. Like it was so bad. The acting sucked. Everything about it was bad. But then like everyone around us, like, cause I went with a friend of mine mm-hmm. and everyone loved it. They were all like applauding and laughing and like really into it. And I'm like, we just looked at one another and it's just like, this was like eye opening moment of like, what's wrong yeah. with everyone else but us? Like, are our tastes this, like, different? Like, do they not see this is really bad? Yeah. Like, it's just like, so, I don't know. I and this is not my type of thing at all. So, mm-hmm. uh, I went into this, though, with, like, eyes of, like, yeah, it's Ingmar Bergman. He's He does no wrong. He's, like, the, one of the best yeah. directors that's ever been around. Uh-huh. Well, not, no one's perfect, RJ. Um, yeah. The dread sank in immediately when I realized this was over two hours long. I hadn't looked at the runtime. I just was like, oh, I'll start watching this. And then, like, I don't know, I, like, kind of cursored over and I went, wait, what? Two hours and nine minutes? Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, And so, yeah, this is a, basically my, like, worst things imaginable for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, there's no, like to me, this isn't cinema. This isn't movie making. Yeah. Um, it, it reminded me of Henry V, which yeah, like, I, which yeah. like is the worst movie we've watched so far. Um, uh-huh. up until now, perhaps. In your, in your, on your ranking. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's, it, it's, I hate it. I don't like the magic uh-huh. food RJ. I didn't like this. Um, I know. And mostly it comes down to just like, I don't like that. I don't like the way it's shot. It doesn't look good. Uh, it's. I don't like the close-up stuff. Like it's the whole movie. Yeah. Like the whole thing is shot in close-up because uh, it opens up with this overture of like the of an audience watching the overture, and I thought that was like really dated and like not great. Um, and then the actual performance begins. Uh, there's like a real disconnect of like watching something in, uh, not your watching something like it's with subtitles when it's saying it's, it's a weird disconnect. Um, one thing that's actually really funny, RJ is, uh, so there's a, uh, 
another version of this that's shot by Kenneth Branagh, who, oh God. who also adapted uh, Henry V. <laughs> oh, what hasn't he fucking adapted? Everything. He did these. He did Murder on the Orient Express. He did fucking Thor. Hamlet. Jeez, Kenneth Branagh has adapted fucking everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I, I pretty well knew that was going to be your response to this. Yeah. But uh, my response might shock you. Oh. This movie's like fine, but I don't really like it either. <laughs> it's like so. Okay, I, I'll I'll lay it out for you like this, big dog. <laughs> my timestamp for this fucking movie was six minutes. Oh come on, you. Which oh, I think this is fine. I think is a new record and. Skype, whatever you're saying, Skype doesn't like it. Are you? Did you get any of that? No. Did you hear what my timestamp was? You said, yeah, I heard your timestamp, but nothing after that. Okay. Okay, so I, I, I'm i not kidding. That's not a joke. My timestamp was six minutes because this movie starts and it is just close-up shots of people in the audience mm-hmm. for nine minutes. Yeah. I checked it again when it was done because I was like, I can't believe this is going on for so long. Nine minutes. But so I checked it at six because it's just it, it's people's faces. And I was like, OK, Burger. it started. And I was like, all right, Ingmar, I, I'm with you. You've never let me down before. Well, you've seen overtures in other movies where it's usually just like black or like a, yeah, t- yeah, a yeah. title card and just music. And you go and like do something else while it warms up yeah. or you just skip that chapter and move on right. to the next scene. Right. So I, I gave him a little bit of leeway. I was like. You never let me down, man. You've even surprised me a couple times. I'm just going to go with it. And then it kept going, and I was just like, fuck. How long is this going? And I checked at six minutes. I was like, holy shit. And then I checked, and then it finished at nine, and I checked again. I was like, nine minutes? God. Yeah. So um, so I, I am familiar with some opera. I've been to a couple. I've been to a couple uh, musicals. And things of that nature. I once saw uh, a musical version of Carrie, the Stephen King novel, hmm. at the University of Lethbridge, and that was not bad. It was it was not bad. Um, so yeah, I'm familiar with some of this stuff. Uh, I agree. It's not really film or movie. It's like what you hear a lot now today, where directors are like, "It's a passion project." It's something I've always wanted to do. So it's like when Bergman was like a little kid, he's like, oh, man, that magic flute, that is the shit. That is the tightest shit I've ever seen. He's like, I'm going to make that one day. And then he did. And uh, I'll say this. like, I think he does a few things pretty good. He does a way better job blending opera and movie than Henry V does. Whereas we described in Henry V, it's like so uh, – not like dry it's just so stale going back and forth between because there's like the moments where it's like it seems like a movie but then it's back on the stage and you're just like i think this one actually does a pretty good job where it kind of goes between the two where it's between like a stage show and you like you see you feel like a real stage presence like what an opera would have been with all the sets and stuff like that and then it goes to like really cinematic things where it's like oh yeah this is like a real movie um and I think that's pretty cool, and I think that's really good. But there are certain elements of opera that I don't like. Uh, I think the self-narration of, like, the literal narration of what they're doing 
I can't stand. And I think I feel like that's an opera thing where it's like near the end, the guy's like, we are being quiet now. We are sneaking up now. We are going through the door kill, now. It's kill like the web it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, man, I fucking get it. Like you don't like I, I get in an opera, like you have to like kill the time by like <laughs> singing because that's what it is, right? Like you wouldn't have to explain that to people. In like a fucking movie, you don't see Mel Gibson being like, I'm being quiet behind this door because there's a rapist on the other side. I'm going to bust it in. I'm going to get him real good. And he like he doesn't like talk to the audience. You don't have to say anything. It's like, yeah, he's quiet. Gotcha. But in the opera, like unless it's like just a music playing, but I guess that's not what an opera is. Like, I don't know, man. I just that really bugged me where she's like, we are doing this now. And you're like, fuck, I don't care. Because, like, <laughs> you know, you because you get it like you're watching it. Right. So I guess it's, I don't know. I think you and me are the wrong people to review this because mm-hmm. we because it's like I know that some people are like, oh, yeah, that's the best shit ever. Love that opera. But I, I don't. I don't really care. Uh, I did like the Papagino G- Papa song where they're just like, Papagino, Papagino. Uh, Papa, Papa. You know what I'm talking about? He doesn't know. He skipped this movie. Yeah. Uh, and then I think the – so I did, full disclosure, I watched some of this at two times speed. Mm-hmm. So, because I, I was trying to yeah, burn, you, this, yeah, you did. I was trying to burn through this fucking thing. I was like, Jesus Christ, I don't want to watch this. So, I think the from twelve percent of the movie to about ninety percent, it was in two times speed because I was like, I just want to get through this thing fast. And like, I know what you're saying. You're like, well, you didn't really watch it. And it's like, oh yes, no, yes you did. Yes, I did. Oh, I'm not going to hold you on that one, man. This yeah. this, this movie, ugh. it's all. I uh, we talked about before. I listen to audiobooks and I listen to those at two, two uh, like one and a half speed. Yeah. You still get all the information, and like in this one, you still get the music, you still get the singing, you still get the subtitles. It's just faster, mm-hmm. and you need that. Um, so most of it I watched in two times speed, and then I thought like some of the stuff at the end, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool when they're showing like the hell world or whatever, where they're like going through and there's like arms and like bodies like dancing around. I thought that was really cool, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, I'm glad i didn't skip it entirely but uh it uh i really needed to watch it sped up because i would not have made it through this fucking thing otherwise mm-hmm. or, or i would have just stopped and then it, and then people would have called our podcast a fraud because they would have been like you didn't even fucking watch the movie i don't, I don't care we're a fraud i know you don't care don't but care. like yeah. yeah here here are my notes i hate live performance kind of yeah, uh, I'm easily impressed with professional singers. So that point is like how, like mm-hmm. in the opening bit with like knocked out guy because he just got I don't know he was in a fight with the dragon and almost got killed. Just yeah. like watching those women sing, it's just like amazing because like I guess like my mind starts drifting to like the internal mechanisms of singing and like yep. just like biologically how like wow that sounds coming out of that person's body that's insane to me like it's really, it, yeah. it, it's just like huh like how how like that's a lot of like the training and honing of that it's like it's really amazing um i, I guess i'd be more impressed by it if i saw it in real life in real like, life r- rather than like watching it like in a filmed version where it's kind of like sure. well that could be amplified i'm sure she really yeah. can sing like this but uh, i don't know if it's like i'm not feeling it Mm-hmm. Um, and those then, ladies were pretty chesty, though. Hey? Oh yeah, that those are some real Scandinavian okay. beauties. Okay, sorry, keep going. Yeah, speaking of biology, uh, my next note was this is interestingly shot. I guess 
But you know, yeah, it is lit yeah. kind of dull as dishwater because it like I don't know if it's the print uh, that I was watching. It like didn't look that good. Um, don't know what merit a filmed recording of a live performance is necessarily. Uh, like I just don't like I don't know if you want to see an, if you want to go see an opera, go see an opera. I guess like the idea behind something like yeah. this is that like it, you can take this performance on the road and like you don't have to pay anybody ever again, and people can watch it forever and ever and be like, wow, opera really is amazing. But it's not gonna <laughs> it's not gonna convince me. Um, I don't Crazy. I don't really watch any concert films at all. Like I was just like like just people who buy like they they have a DVD collection, but all this is like Eagles and like Meatloaf and like they like they're really into concerts <laughs> yeah. like Rod. Stewart, they're really into that, but like I've I don't watch anything like that. I don't even watch like stand up comedians. Like I don't care about that stuff for the most part. Um, like okay. it's just like okay. I don't know something about live performance just doesn't attract yeah. me that much. Sure, uh, that's that's my thing. That's my baggage. Uh, like yeah, my ex was like like if you want to see something, go fucking see it. Like actually watch. Yeah. Go, go do that. Um, so what that, about the introverts that don't want to leave their house? Well, they probably don't. But they still them. love the opera. Well, then that's their Fuck that's their cross to bear. Okay. Uh, and that is to say, I'm not looking forward to the Monterey Pop Festival thing we'll be doing uh, a I while from now. I know, but like I'm not looking forward to like yeah. watching that as an experience because all it is is this. Have, like. Do you, Okay, so I got another question. Yeah. This is you you said you don't like stand up. Okay. I don't do you, go to my way to watch stand up, yeah. I know you're kind of a weird dude who like doesn't listen to music sometimes. Like sometimes you do, but I go long, I, I, th- I I can go like months without listening to music, yes. Yeah, which I feel like is kind of weird. It is, yeah, um, probably. But so like I think that's maybe part of it too because uh I really like music and there are certain bands that I really like where I have a seen them live and really enjoyed it and B get CDs or DVDs of their live performances. And I really enjoy those too. Hmm. Cause for some of them it's like, yeah, I've seen this band. This is just what it was like. And then others it's like, I'll never see this band because they're all fucking dead. Yeah. And it's cool to see what they're like. And when you, ha- when you get a good band and they actually sound good live and you watch them live, you're like, yeah. But then there are really shitty bands that you see live and you're just like, oh, no. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so I, I was just going to say um, that's uh, the music thing. Or you're talking about these live performances and it's it just popped out to me. I was like, yeah, you are kind of a weird duck. Yeah. I yeah. A different duck, is uh, the di- kids say. A different duck. That's a right. different duck. Differently abled. Uh, next note, those animal costumes are pretty wicked. <laughs> like, so there's like oh yeah the, all the, the walrus the all oh, the lion the bats like all the costumes look yeah. so good like that's like the best thing about this movie for me so just I, the costumes like yeah. I, I can appreciate costumes and they look good they're like kind of otherworldly and silly yeah. and charming they're they're really fantastic I like how they're all like woodland creatures mm-hmm. uh, for the most part but then there's also a fucking walrus there and you're just yeah. like where'd that guy come from uh yeah it's, fun. it's fun. the European way. Um, and then my next sequence of notes is, holy fuck, I don't care at all. Yeah. Okay. Life is too short. <laughs> uh, yeah. my next note here is like, I have never watched David Cronenberg's M butterfly for this very reason. So the okay. only, I think the only Cronenberg I haven't watched, like from that period of time, like the, his like heyday is yep. his, uh, his M butterfly adaptation with uh, Jeremy Irons. Uh, and cause it's just like him filming a fucking play. Like it's like one set and stuff like that. It does not work that well. Um, it's, but there's like 
times where like that artifice does work, like in the movie Mishima, like that movie mm-hmm. has like like four whole sequences that are set that way, and they're it's amazing. Yeah. It blows my mind how good it is, and it's really effective, but it's also kind of couched yes, yes. in like a narrative, a conventional narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's about it for my thoughts on this. Um, this was just I... on. This was just on. Yeah, I did other things, and I kind of mm-hmm. would be like looking over and be like, why? why and this mm-hmm. is like this is what i signed up for i guess because this is just not for me it's not like this really is what you signed up for yeah yeah uh yeah i think we gave this movie as much time as it deserved maybe more um it's not it's like we're saying it's not bad or anything i'm sure there's some people who fucking really dig this thing it's just it's not we don't care we don't care we don't care it's this time that like spent doing things that you don't want to do and you could be watching other things that are like way yeah. better like rewatch a movie that you really like sometimes yep. it doesn't pay to like explore and uh branch mm-hmm. out i guess which is weird to say um yeah, i don't know this isn't like a particularly popular film on letterboxd mm-hmm. either um I mean, it's just like you read it and you go, well, unless you're like really into like the magic flute or like really into like Ingmar Bergman, I don't know if this is like, like there's I thought so much, we were, we are like, but like, yeah. not, I guess I'm not, I'm not that into it. Like, this is just not that impressive of a production from him either. No, not really. Uh, okay. So yeah. here's, okay. So what would you like to hear? Would you like to see, uh, who loves this film or who hates this film? Let's do, let's do one of each. Okay, we'll mix it up here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Nathan Williams uh, watched this like uh, in July, and he says Gee. five stars. The film I hope to see just before I before I die. A complete Shut joy. Up. Yes. Shut up. Yes. I I'd rather watch fucking uh, Osmosis Jones on my deathbed than this fucking thing. You remember uh, that movie? That movie's pretty good, actually. Uh no, isn't that movie about like uh like Bill Murray's like white- got like bowel problems he's got like swine flu yeah he's got like some kind of swine flu and there's like um i think chris rock is a white blood cell who's like a cop that movie's really good we should talk about that movie one day okay um rumsey taylor uh he watched that he watched it this year he gave it one and a half stars Mm. I appreciate the attempt to demystify the process of theater in other words this is thankfully not a film performance no is uh, well, it and, is yeah, and, and it's replete with Bergman's trademark close-ups, foregoing the decidedly cartoonish set design for the myriad emotions that register on someone's face as she's belting out a song, for example. Mm. Despite these uh, innovations, this remains very much not my thing at all. So wait, did he not like the set designs? He's called them cartoonish. Is it was that yeah. a negative or a positive? I guess it's like he he liked that it was he, he shot called... in close up rather than like looking at the cartoonish yeah. sets. I guess. Oh uh, well, I think that's like the only like good thing about it though is like the charm of the set and like the uh, like the stage and all that. Mm-hmm. Like not the only good thing, but I actually thought that was like one of the better parts of it. Because it is like an either making an opera or a movie. All right, mm-hmm. this ain't way Miz, brah. CNB, four and a half stars. By a good margin, this is the best opera film I've seen, and I've seen a fair number. Honestly, I didn't think Bergman had the temperament to bring the magic flute to the screen, but he does it with a happy wit. The recognition scene with Pagino and Paginina is a sheer delight. I watched it with our six-year-old and eight-year-old, and they both loved it. 
Papagino. Uh, Papagino. Yeah. Uh, Joe Busy. Two stars. As a big Mozart fan, come on. Shut up. <laughs> and a fan of the Magic Flute in particular, I was sorely disappointed by this film. So here's a person that likes this shit. I yeah. went in with high expectations, having thoroughly enjoyed all the other Bergman films I'd seen. But sadly, this seems to be his weakest so far. Fact. Uh, Fact. The film, being a recording of the stage version, lacks any of the advantages of seeing it live at the opera. In fact, the overture at the beginning draws the audience members to our full attention in a sequence that felt a little unnecessary and alienating. Mm -hmm. Generally, I don't enjoy being reminded I am part of an audience when watching an opera, since there is no escapism in that. Ultimately, mm. the production that being filmed here is pretty unremarkable. The stage is pretty bare and cramped. The performances for uh, the most part from most of the cast are decent enough for theater, but don't translate well to the big screen as they lack subtlety. Papagino, for instance, is not nearly likable nor sympathetic enough, and Tamino is just a bit of a bore to watch. This is a film that didn't need to be made, I'm sorry to say, and Bergman's cinematography simply serves to further distract the viewer's attention from the story and the characters, which demands some measure of immersion to be enjoyed. If you want to watch this opera, I recommend the Royal Opera House Convent garden oh, version up. you can find it on youtube and is miles ahead of this version in almost every way uh, i, I mm -hmm. like these guys points he agrees with me he seems like he knows what he's talking about other than he's a self-professed uh big mozart. fan of the magic flute and mozart yeah yeah uh, no i yeah he doesn't have bad points they're all excellent points uh i okay what did you write that review no are you a big fan of the uh, magic I, flute? I i will i am not joe busy uh, you're Joe Bu Buzzy. Uh, from Walt Tarot, four stars. Okay. The overture alone is worth the price of admission. Symphonic Faces, <sighs> Bergman, so is in a tour of cinematic portraiture. And a tour of cinematic portraiture. Is that what you just said? Yeah. Good. Walt, Walt Tarot, his uh, favorite films, Blade Runner, Fargo, Citizen Kane and Monty Python's The Meaning of Life. He's of a, sounds like a real basic bitch to me. Yeah, he's probably drinking his McDonald's roast coffee. Uh, <laughs> it's like picking on this guy. Uh, bio, cinephanic or cinephanatic coming out upon retirement. Uh, 60 years of movie lust privately fulfilled in dark theaters and most recently <laughs> in Man Cave, seeking uh. more adventurous ways to explore film, wanting to share experiences, thoughts, ideas, and opinions with fellow cinephiles. No thanks. Pass. Hard pass. Hard pass. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Oh, one more. Ross Bonami, two and a half stars. Criterion Spine number 71. <gasps> the Magic Flute is the 12th Ingmar Bergman film I have seen, and for the first time in the films I have seen, this is him lighthearted. This is particularly shocking when you consider that his 70s films contain some of his darkest works, such as Cries and Whispers and Scenes from a Marriage. I usually know the tone I'm going to get with a Bergman film, but with The Magic Flute, I was completely surprised. Unfortunately, that might be the best part of The Magic Flute for me. I got to see happier layers of Bergman that I didn't think existed, but that different tone in the way that The Magic Flute was told left very little of an impression on me. I realize this is a strange criticism, but when a film is presented as being told on a stage, I sort of hate it when the film breaks that convention. I learned, oh, I, I love Laurence Olivier's Hamlet for doing that, which we haven't got oh, to yet. no. We haven't seen that yet. We've seen Henry mm -hmm. V, but I'm a, a hypocrite because I also liked how 2012's Anna Karina broke from that convention. 
Anyways, mm. it depends on the context, I guess. But with the magic flute, I never felt like breaking from that convention made sense for the story or the style of the film. I would have been completely fine with Bergman continuing the entire story to what was clearly a stage and being fairly straightforward about it. On that note, I thought the decision to take the story off stage often served no purpose. I found it particularly strange to show one girl's reaction to moments in a borderline creepy way, and only once do we get behind the scenes, which serves no purpose whatsoever. Mm. I also found the Magic Flute to be the least effective Bergman film, most likely because it's him adapting Mozart rather than telling his own story. I find the idea of Bergman adapting other people's work to be a compelling idea, yet the tones don't quite fit, uh, make sense between these two geniuses. <laughs> because we have to, we have to uh. stress, RJ, that Mozart is a genius. Uh, I, I, I would be remiss, you know, if we didn't unequivocally state that Mozart is a genius, RJ. Mozart. Yeah, 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 yeah. Everyone knows that. doesn't matter. Nobody I don't, cares I don't, anymore. I, all I know is people he's say He's been it. dead for like all, 400 years. All, all I know is people say it. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, he's been dead for like 400 years, so who gives a shit? Amadeus. Amadeus, Amadeus. Besides the cinematography <laughs> and a few darker shots, I disappointingly never really saw much of Bergman in this one. Hmm. Uh, that's my review of this fucking movie oh see how do you how do you like them apples you're you're really turning on this though you're getting darker on it well listening to you talk about it makes me hate it more (laughs) no it's fine it's just i don't i don't care i don't care about the opera yeah uh yeah this is like goes into the bin of never again never ever again ever again well that's too bad Yep, that's fine. Bergman, it's, I think Bergman's uh, reputation will be just okay. Uh, oh, Roger yeah, Ebert, Roger Ebert gave it four stars back in the seventy-five. Though <laughs> he does, man, his opinion is so bad sometimes. <laughs> All of our opinions are bad sometimes, probably to somebody. Not me. Yeah, <laughs> I only like high quality, fucking luxury items. Okay, like Mozart operas, like Mozart operas. And Stephen King novels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, just the finest products, man. Well, that's all I've got to say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we, it, I said it like 10 minutes ago. I think we gave this movie more than enough time that it uh, deserved. Well, there you go. Uh, after the break, I don't know, we're going to go hang out with like people in animal costumes in the woods and go on a quest or some shit. I don't fucking know. What? like Bugs Bunny cartoon with the opera I mean it was fine but uh, that was never my favorite remember that one where it's like Bugs Bunny versus the opera singer 
because he was so loud. Uh, I preferred the barbershop version of that. Okay. Yeah. It's you know uh, you know the barbershop one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I would prefer that. Let's not get into opera again. We just got away from this shit. Let's let's move on. We're cl- done. Classes up with some uh, Looney Tunes, you know, some Chuck yeah. Jones. We're done. Uh, you can email us at criterioncreators at gmail.com and tell us about the genius of Mozart and this film and Bugs Bunny. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on that letterboxd. Uh, I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. Uh, we're on SoundCloud at Criterion Creeps, and on Stitcher, and on iTunes, all that good stuff. Uh, next week, spine number 72. Uh, mm-hmm. A little film I'm not familiar with at all, so this will be another blind uh, viewing. Le Million, oh, cool. directed by Rene Claire from 1931. I suspect it's black and white, RJ. Uh, I think you're wrong. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We're going to find I've never out. Heard of such a thing. Yeah, exactly. So we're we're getting into like kind of like kind of a weird territory. There's some movies coming up in the next couple months where I'm like, I don't know much about this, and uh, yeah. I, it's an exploration. I'm hoping that maybe our minds will be blown one of these days, but mm. you know, you, we know how that goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe when your first Kevin Smith movie pops up in the in the collection, maybe then your mind will be blown. Five weeks. Five weeks. <laughs> Five weeks. Yeah. Yeah closer and closer yeah 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 yeah. that'll be a real Mm -hmm. watch anyways uh good night folks uh i I hope you enjoyed the movie maybe more than we did watch someone watch that watch twin peaks it was good yeah good night